Hi, this is Catherine, and this is Friendly Anarchism. I have some awesome people here with me today. Would you go ahead and introduce yourselves? My name is Eleanor Soleil, also known as Nors. My name is Nathan Adams. All right, so this hour is for you. What <laughs> do you all want to talk about? Um, I, I have no idea where I'll go, but I'll probably end up talking about like how being queer relates to anarchy. Um, maybe maybe a little bit about nihilism. We were touching on that earlier before we started recording. Um, maybe some intersections there. What about you, Nathan? Yeah, definitely um, queer anarchism, uh, nihilism, and like the various... I'm definitely interested in getting into the various like misconceptions about nihilism or mm. various perspective perspectives of to nihilism or to not nihilism yeah yeah <laughs> and within gender and sexuality yeah <laughs> how our frameworks of like how we think about meaning can influence our politics or vice versa mm. Yeah. I read a little article about how you know there's red flag anarchism black flag anarchism kind of sort of but um, the idea of the black anarchist or the black anarchism, like nihilism, is a key part of being that. Mm-hmm. So do you consider yourselves tied to that part of anarchy, or is it more broad? I'm, I f- definitely feel more inclined toward the black flag anarchy. Um, or I've also seen, like, purple flag anarchy uh-huh. and stuff like that. <laughs> anarch- anarcho-feminism. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I am sort of like i'm i'm sort of moving past feminism in a in a way there's this misconception about feminism that it's only feminism if it's perfect um and i think i think that's kind of bullshit because historically feminism has kind of let trans femmes down um and just trans people in general but especially trans femmes it is um it has never really centered us it has never really um included us and it has only really tokenized and used us to like solidify their um trans exclusionary beliefs um that sort of pervade feminism and all of that for the audience that may not know do you want to describe what a turf is a turf okay some people say trans exclusionary radical feminist but i like trans exterminationist um reactionary fuckbag <laughs> um <laughs> So they, um, yeah, basically if you ever hear someone saying, oh, we need a vagina only space for women, that's turfy. Um, if, if someone is just like centering cis women in a conversation about gender, um, that's typically very turfy. There are, I, I don't know. Do you have anything to touch on this, Nathan? I mean, that, I think that covers it. Uh, They definitely, um... There's, I mean, they have all sorts of justifications for their their stuff um, that they bring out, but it's pretty. You can pretty well like um, see through it. Yeah, like when you when they're yeah exactly like you're saying when they're talking about equating genitals with gender and like all mm. that. It's kind of like oh, turf. There you go. <laughs> yeah, back to trans exterminationist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, basically they don't see trans women as women. They see them as perverse men that are trying to get into women's spaces. Um, and they they actually seem to not give a shit about trans men at all. They don't really think about them. Um, so, <laughs> What I understand is the idea that if you grew up supposedly in a man's body, then you got all the privilege as a child of being oh, a yeah, man. Yeah. Therefore... They, they think trans women have male privilege, which is such bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they, like, something that I've seen a lot is, like, the idea that trans women are somehow, like, trying to get access to women, like, men trying to get yeah. access to women's spaces, which is, like, if you think about Particularly how, bathrooms. Yeah, if um. you think about how oppressed trans women are in society, it's like, why would someone go through all that just... Yeah. That? Like, why... That's, like, why would I get systematically, like, bullied and ostracized from my family and friends <laughs> so I could, like, sexually harass people? <laughs> yeah. 
Men do that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think turfs are just afraid of men, and I don't think any turf actually knows a trans woman because we're sweet and we're a lot less likely to abuse mm-hmm. anyone. Um. Yeah, and it's. I feel like you could never have known, like a like a little kid who's trans and yeah. have any of those feelings. Yeah. You know, yeah. I was a nanny, and I nannied this wonderful little girl, um, and it's just they're so so sure of their identity yeah you know so it's like i don't know how you could possibly know you couldn't dissuade just, them at it, all yeah no it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not a negotiable thing yeah you're yeah. talking about little you know two three-year-old yeah two three-year-old kids you know yeah um yeah i i'm very non-binary i'm i call myself a trans femme but that's just because i like present as feminine because uh, I think it's fun and cute, <laughs> but that I don't think that says anything about like my actual identity. So when I was a little kid, I sort of just grew up with the roles that were uh, imposed upon me. Um, to an extent, I was very like rebellious towards those pretty much my entire life, but that manifested in a in a different way. And like you talk about like little trans kids being so sure um, of the, who they truly are and. Um, a lot of people like ha- sort of didn't didn't experience that um, in the way that you're talking about mm-hmm. because it it wasn't very clear what that identity means and this sh- shows up a lot for like non-binary people is like uh, like my mom said to me at one point she was like she was like yeah when you when you told me that you were questioning your gender. Um, and came up with non-binary. It was like a huge shock to me because you you've always like inhabited the boy role. And then I, my response to that was pretty much, well, that wasn't the only role that it was existing in there. There was also the girl role, and then the something else role, and then all this other shit that <laughs> that I still haven't sorted out. So <laughs> confusing every single day. <laughs> I feel like these birds have come back to their nest. <laughs> I'm worried that they're kind of loud. I don't know. Uh, maybe we should pause and go find a, another place. Perhaps. They're, just like, they're having a real also, good time. Also, is my swearing a problem? No, no, no. Okay, Absolutely. cool. No, totally. You swear, swear all you want. Awesome. Okay. Um, pause, please. Okay, hi. We're back. We found another little place. So yes, we're going to try what this out. We yeah. About? Uh, we were, we were, we moved from turfs into, uh, I think, into non-binary... Yes, yes, non-binary discourse. Yeah, so I have, like, a sort of similar experience to Nora's in that I, I, well, first off, I am non-binary, and I'm not really sure, like, what exactly is going on with the whole gender thing as it (laughs) pertains to me, but uh, the, the term gender fluid is one that seems pretty accurate to describe my experience of gender. Me too. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's like, growing up, I, there was never any sort of, like, sureness of, like, oh, yeah, I don't, like, fit into um, this role, I fit into this role. It was always just, like, me being sort of uncomfortable with certain experiences of boyness or being a dude. And then uh, when I started learning about non-binary people, then I was kind of realizing, like, wait, that is kind of me. Like, <laughs> like especially when I was having a conversation with some people on Facebook and they're, uh, it's like, really nice, like, older, like, non-binary queers. They're like, well, having apathy about your gender is actually can be a key part of a non-binary identity. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Because, so, like, for me, I have, like, I have at the same time a lot of apathy about my gender but i think about it a lot yeah so so it's like like i don't have a sort of like as a metaphysical concept yeah so that's kind of like been my experience of that like um sometimes i have a specific gender experience of i feel like a girl or i feel like a boy usually i don't but i also like playing around with my presentation and just in essence, moving more and more towards um, presenting and behaving in ways totally unburdened by gender expectations mm. is kind of really important to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my transition, um, it has been mostly about subverting my maleness than moving towards anything else. 
Um, I like the like big part, the big intention of my transition is like I don't want people to think anything about me. Um, I what I'm looking for is like that con- confusion, the cognitive dissonance when people like look at me, they're like, is that a man or a woman? And then I can be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Feel that. <laughs> but yeah, I am on um, like estrogen and T blockers and stuff for that right now. Um, so I can have like the specific body parts that would confuse people. Um, but it, it's um it's been sort of a struggle because that is also like really not about me it's more about how other people like see me and i've had to like really kind of convince myself that it's a good thing to do instead of just like change my mind about and like be okay with people um like seeing me in a certain way but i think i think a lot of other trans people go through the same questioning thing it's like oh is my dysphoria real is or am I just like not being chill with the way people are looking at me (laughs) yeah um and I to that I just your dysphoria is always real it is always valid so or it should always be treated as such so yeah it's an, an interesting thing like I've been thinking about this lately like um the uh, one of the speakers at the the Pride event that we had a few weeks ago, um, what they're saying, um, I I can't recall their name, right? I think no, it was Ricky. I think. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, and they're saying how um, they're on T partially because they're they're tired of their body like betraying them. So yeah. That got me thinking, like maybe because I don't experience. I mean, I guess I do experience some dysphoria. Um, but not really related to my body, more just my like behavior and like how I'm seen that mm-hmm. way or presentation sort of stuff. So I was thinking like maybe like a lot of people's or some people's disorder definitely is like wouldn't be there necessarily if we didn't have these like super mondo crappy like gender roles and expectations yeah, yeah. in the first place that are so like detailed and nuanced yeah. into people's yeah like, subtle actions like the way you cross your legs and shit like yeah that. yeah i <laughs> run into that as a as a woman and as a uh, even just growing up you know i wasn't super feminine yeah um, and you get in trouble for like not crossing your legs but the thing is it's like just the way my body is built it's not comfortable to cross my legs with like my knees over each other it just doesn't even like make sense for how I'm formed and so it's like oh well then you should cross your ankles and it's like why (laughs) like this is not comfortable I have no stability I want to just like have stable yeah can I just like be be a person especially like as a little kid you know being like, like, why are you criminalizing having a body? Well, yeah. at that point, it's, it doesn't even, you don't even understand as a yeah. little kid. It's like, what am I, why? Like, what are you, it's, it's almost like bringing sexuality into a space that's like totally inappropriate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's pedophile culture. That's pedophilia culture, like straight and simple, you know, um, that we, as a society, we sexualize, um, everyone of all ages and we sort of it's all tailored to like what a a man of his prime would want you know and it's shitty (laughs) it's like okay but not everyone else is a sex toy you can't just use people like that yeah um and that's sort of the, the the common theme of all gender related like um violence is like men (laughs) um and the the expectations because they are in power so Uh, toxic masculinity toxic masculinity quite a real thing oh yeah indeed yeah i saw um there's this really fun little comic that goes around now and then i like it every time i see it where there's two little blobs and one blob says ban all muslims and the next blob says ban all men and I was like, well, that's ridiculous. How can you do that? There's billions of men. And they're like, there's billions of... No, there's... Of Muslims. Yeah. <laughs> some Muslims are violent. He's like, but most, like, all, men are violent. And this like, and it, yeah. I'm, I'm screwing up this comic, but it was the whole point was being like, <laughs> men are super violent. Ban men. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, like, there is actual data that suggests that men are 
actually like a threat to <laughs> people who are not men. Um, yeah. If I mean, if you categorize people by demographics, like white men are a terrifying demographic. Yeah. Of people. They are. You and know. Talk to anyone who's not a white man, and yeah. they will agree with you on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure someone listening to this is going to be like, not all men. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to be like, fuck you. Yes, all men. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, like, um, that's why I've always like been my issue with like the whole like pink, like pussy hats. And oh everything. yeah. Okay. Okay. Let's, Which, let's talk about the women's march because, for like, a moment. At the same time, like, um, just real quick before we get into the women's march, like, it's it's interesting because at the same time there is a lot of stigma around like sexual education for people with vaginas that needs to be combated. Like, like people with penises, I think, are like taught like in way more detail like how to have pleasure and like you know yeah, all that. So it's, it's like really you gotta you gotta like an issue. in that way it's like okay, well let's yeah let's talk about vaginas, but then to like wrap that up with this is womanhood and this is like yeah that's where it gets really turkey (laughs) um and yeah that that almost all of the symbology of the women's march movement was like um uterus centric vulva centric um stuff like that and um while there's a place for that like nathan said you cannot attach that to femininity or womanhood um, and that's that's what the women's march did. And as a trans person, I felt very unsafe there. Um, I was in Portland at the at the pretty big one that was going on there, and I the, there was a moment that really demonstrated what I'm talking about. So I'm I'm standing there, I'm chanting along, and everyone's saying her body, her choice, and I try to talk over to them. I'm like their body, their choice, and yeah. then this big like muscular like frightening man like comes up behind me and starts looking at me directly in the eye he says her body her choice and i'm like i want to leave i feel like i'm about to get hit (laughs) um and it was it was really bad and a, a lot of shit like that was just happening all day and i was like wow okay so i know who this is for and who it's not for yeah and that was when i really started to like kind of question and question is is feminism really for who it's meant for (laughs) um and by who it's meant for i mean those who experience the most gendered violence and i think a lot of people get very very um confused about who that is and it's that's when we need to talk about how trans misogyny is a very unique form of oppression and people who aren't who don't experience it people who are trans misogyny exempt the acronym for that is TME, by the way. Um, <laughs> people who are TME can't really talk about it because it's very, like, nuanced. Um, and it, it is, it's everywhere. <laughs> it is everywhere. But, yeah, I kind of went off on a tangent. Where, what were we saying? Well, now, though, uh, could you define transmisogyny a little bit? Transmisogyny, uh, violence against um, trans women. That's most basic definition um people who can experience trans misogyny i actually had a really interesting debate about this with um a trans woman on facebook the other day um we were like okay who can experience trans misogyny no no one who was assigned female at birth can be or can experience trans misogyny like if you if you were assigned female at birth afab you don't experience it, don't talk about it. If you were assigned male at birth, however, and you are non-binary, but like not femme, mm-hmm. you don't experience transmisogyny. If you are assigned male at birth and you do present femme or are femme, then you do experience transmisogyny. And there's like kind of a gray area in there about like what is seen as femme and what is femme on the inside. Like in my case, I'm not a femme, um, but I I present as femme and I do a lot of femmy things. So I do 
consider myself someone who experiences transmisogyny because I have, of course, experienced it. Um, <laughs> and the very typical violence that totally like fits a standard, um, like just the way that I've been treated in society, that is transmisogyny. Um, someone maybe in Nathan's case, however, who doesn't um, always present as femme, um, or just like, you know, you, you might not experience as yeah, much of it. No, you might I, experience I've, it sometimes. I definitely have the, the privilege of, um, like, not experiencing, like, that much, like, dysphoria from not presenting as femme. Like, yeah. so, like, I have the privilege of being able to, like, kind of, like, present masculine and be comfortable with that when it's safe. Um, versus someone who doesn't, it's like, then their, their, uh, choice is like, okay, present femme and face like this sort of external violence or not present femme and feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I have the privilege of not, but yeah, but when I do present femme, like I definitely can face that, but I have the privilege of like not always being in that like space. Hmm. Well, I'm queer. And I used to identify as bisexual, but I like the term bi plus, which I've heard, mm. which is kind of a nice thing. I just found out about that. I'm mm. like, I like that because I don't like the bisexual gender binary. Mm. Um, yeah. So it's like idea. pan. It's not. I don't like the term pan personally, because sort of like when you say pan to people that aren't necessarily within queer culture, it sounds like, oh, you just sleep with anybody or anything. Yeah. And like, that's yeah. so like just sort of the semantics of pan I don't like. Mm. So yeah. bi plus is like also because I identified as bi for so long and like that's where I like started mm. my journey with my sexuality. It's there is a specific bi culture and there is specific issues that go along with being bisexual. Yeah. That definitely. I don't want to Bi-phobia lose. Bi-phobia is real. <laughs> oh, it's it's really real. It's yeah. <laughs> yeah. very real, yeah. It's very, very yeah. real. So um, so then I didn't I didn't want to lose that part of yeah. that culture identity. So I I'm I like bi plus and I make that more yeah. more yeah. popular. Yeah. But I feel I feel like there that might run into issues of like non binary erasure, but um, that is also like really like if you take it out of context then it kind of sounds like that but um i just like talking with you about it sort of makes me feel a little bit like that's not really the case um or more like non-binary erasure in the way that it like reinforces a binary by um, annotating to it, but the term non-binary kind of does the same thing. Oh, because so it has like, binary in it. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, yeah. I, I think, I think all of the language, all of the language that we're using right now is very like um, developmental. Like we're going to reach a state in the future where all of our, all of the language that we use to talk about queer things is not going to include any sort of like cis straight centrism in there um and i'm i'm personally moving towards that by using the term singularian instead of non-binary um because uh, and the best way i can describe singularian is like if male is on mars and female is on venus i'm somewhere in deep space <laughs> or on some other dimension <laughs> sick um yeah <laughs> like i'm i'm in the i'm in the realm of probability but um (laughs) yeah so that's that's basically singularian and i think all of the models that are sort of popularized about gender like i've seen a thing about like like a color wheel and then it's like how how agender are you with like the saturation oh yeah the rgb scale or something like that very very extra i'm like okay but that's that's still cis centric. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. still binary centric. How not cis are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I don't want to be like described well, like that at all. That's yeah. one of the things dealing with as a bisexual. People ask you like, oh, well, how bisexual are you? Are you fifty fifty? <laughs> or it's like, no, I'm a hundred a hundred. Yeah, it's not like yeah. It's, yeah. there's not like the like it. It makes it this really awkward thing where it's like. Oh, you're 70, 30. So that kind of language makes yeah. it so it's like, 
you know, like lesbians won't date you because it means half of you're only halfway in oh, to yeah, the relationship. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you're uh, only fifty percent gay. And that's yeah. like you know what that's I mean? all over the place in bi biphobia. Yeah. Yeah. So I that's like why that's I, like I hate the that language. Of biphobia. Would you agree with that? That that lesbians won't like the fifty. No, the <laughs> good one, but um, like the fifty-fifty kind of language. Yeah, isn't no, that it's like the keystone. It is, okay, yeah, it's yeah. the keystone, and it's like it's so unhelpful. Yeah, it's like super not a helpful way of thinking about things because totally. it just it just reinforces the idea that you're not straight and you're not gay. Yeah, so like you don't actually fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean. So yeah. it's like <laughs> it's. Yeah, and so like the semantics really are important when it comes to that the way that people talk about stuff, and they're too. developing. Yeah, and then all these like cis straight people are like, it's so confusing. Oh my god, my life is so hard because all these all these angry trans want to want to make all this new language. I'm like, suck it up, honey. Like, <laughs> imagine what it's like for me. Like, yeah, <laughs> like I'm still trying to figure it all out, and you're just making it harder. Um, yeah, but yeah, this this stuff is it's developing, and everyone's got to be patient and. Is I, I feel like it should no longer be allowed to like complain about that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like canceled. from anyone, like <laughs> like everyone needs to be quiet. Like we all know, we all know it's difficult. <laughs> I feel like here we're, we're starting to get into like kind of um, sort of like gender, the question of like gender nihilism or yeah, yeah, something else because like too. that's. Um, like I, I'd sent uh, like last week. I sent Catherine the gender nihilism anti manifesto. We had some discourse about mm-hmm. that. That's and a really interesting. Conversation. I haven't yeah. read that. Yeah, I think I, I sent that to you. I'm, a while I'm ago. probably familiar with. Yeah, I was, the I'm sure you're points. familiar with the concepts. Okay, yeah. If you could like. Yeah. Um, so briefly, summarize. it's like um, what they're saying in the gender nihilism anti manifesto is. Um, that is the system of gender itself that enables gendered violence and that um, we must to any um, expansion of that will just create more multiplicities in the way that violence can be directed by gender at people and so that we must aim to uh, destroy it entirely Hmm. and now the in the manifesto it makes a very clear distinction that because turfs also use this type of language sometimes yes but to um, erase people yeah, <laughs> yeah but the the gender nihilism anti-manifest is actually written by a trans woman of color so yeah. um, well that was interesting because when i was reading it you saw like my first yeah. reaction when i'm reading yeah, the like, of it is like oh there's some turf it. language in here for sure yeah. and i got like real like antsy about yeah. it like, i don't know where this is going <laughs> and then it and then later on in the article it started, started like black flags Perhaps <laughs> just just general just the normal kind of flag. Yeah, like, yeah. Okay, what is this like? This feels like erasure, turfy language. Raising but then it got further into flags. it, and it got more developed, and it's like, oh, okay. And then actually, at the very mm. end of the article, they mm. had added another little addendum to try and clarify some of the things that, yeah. like, what I had been really like ooky about. And so it was. It's yeah. like one of those things where you got, you have to read the whole yeah. thing. It's such a complicated subject too that yeah. you, it like you can't really do sound bites about it yeah yeah and yeah my problem with gender nihilism is um that first we must be gender positive we must first affirm that all of these non-binary genders exist we mm-hmm. have to like um create language for it we have to create space for it because if we get rid of all of it all of the gendered violence systems will still exist yeah it'll just be clouded in a giant like web of like obscurity and it'll be the same thing it's just it'll it'll still be trans misogyny yeah um it'll just be under gender nihilism <laughs> well the same thing uh, <laughs> anti-structural yeah <laughs> a similar thing happens with like anarchist organizing when people say well we're just going to have no leadership therefore we're going to be non-hierarchical but without actually working towards cooperative process, and you end up just saying, "Oh, we're all totally equal." It's and like then the they're, all they're lives hidden. matter of anarchy. Then there's, <laughs> <laughs> so then all of these power structures are still there; they're just hidden yeah. under like the guise of like, mm-hmm. "Well, we're saying that we're all equal." 
And like, you know what I mean? And this is the like typical debate between MLs and anarchists. ML? Uh, like Marxist-Leninists, um, like authoritarian communists versus um, libertarian communists. Um, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's an important discourse. Um, I typically like to, it's, there's a common theme here, um, in like what we're talking about. It's like, where does the gendered violence lie? Where does the systematic hierarchical violence lie? Is it in like, um, is it in the structure of how we do it or is it beyond that? Mm -hmm. Um, and my answer to that question would be both. Um, and that like a, a true anarchist, um, if we're going to get elitist about things, a true, (laughs) I think it's good to get elitist about this kind of thing. There's a lot of uh, finger quotes going on. Yes. Yes. A lot of finger quotes. Um, a, a true anarchist would first destroy all of these hierarchies in themselves and then work on destroying them outside of themselves. Um, in both the non-structural, in both the structural and intuitive levels. Um, and that's like what holistic anarchism is about instead of performative anarchism. Yeah. The idea, (laughs) so one of the Quaker concepts is that inward state and outward action are component parts of a single whole. Yes. So that that you, if you, you have to work on your inward state. Like almost first, you have to work yeah. on your inner state first Agreed. because 100%. that's where all of your action stems from. Yeah. So like, there's no way to have to do. You can't do good actions if you're coming from a bad place. Hmm. So which is really interesting because like I'd never really heard that before. I became a Quaker. The idea yeah. like we're sort of taught in our society that you do good work, you do good things, and it makes you feel better. Yeah. You know, so you, you know, so if you feel bad, you go do good stuff, and then that'll like help. <laughs> and that's you out. why Target has a pride brand now. Yeah. <laughs> right. but it's, it's sort of the opposite. It's like you, you, you feel bad, so you um, do something external to make your internal self feel better. When instead, it's like you have to work on your internal self, and through your internal work of everything you that you do comes out of that revolutionary values place. Yes. So then everything you do is, is, is based in, is, yeah. yeah, is going to be working on those things, which I think is a really interesting idea. Same I 100% agree with that. Yeah. And I saw something on your Facebook profile that was like radical just means pulling from like the root. Yeah. The Angela Davis like quote. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I feel like that <laughs> very much ties into what we're talking about right mm-hmm. now. <laughs> yeah. Something that I think about a lot, um, in relation to my own politics and just, stuff in general is like the the distinction between like charity and solidarity and like i i'm very about I'm pointing at nathan and making yes gestures <laughs> i'm very about like everything needs to come uh from or everything really anyone anything anyone does comes from a place of self-interest and to pretend otherwise is just like inauthentic but that comes with the understanding for me that you know an injury to one is an injury to all and that is in my direct self-interest for everyone to be loved because i care for myself and any any organization that pretends that there's some caring about other people for not yourself is going to will just breed resentment or breed you know a charity like savior complex or which will ultimately be ineffective to actually help people um it's like but, currency of like how much of an ally I am. Exactly. It's like doing it, doing it for the, the brownie points instead yeah. of doing it because for me, for myself, I authentically want to help people. Yeah. Which, yeah. And I, you know, everyone, capitalism has made it so we can pretend that people don't want to help people because it's, it's like. That they um, do want to help people, you mean? Well, people, I mean, like, capitalism has. Uh, uh, what's the word uh, incentivized exploiting people is what I'm saying like yeah yeah so yeah, it's yeah. like it's so then people can get to like pretend like write their whole like ancap BS about oh how people are ge- like naturally selfish human nature blah 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 <laughs> where it's like well no I mean that's just because of the system that's been put in place and like everyone needs love and friends and everything it's in everyone's yeah. 
and like capitalism d- runs directly counter to having real community and real solidarity, which everyone wants and needs. So yeah, and at this moment, I love to go full Kropotkin. That's what I was just. Yeah. Oh my god! <laughs> I was just like, you're saying this is like, oh, social Darwinism, Kropotkin, do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. Like, okay, yes, yeah, right there. Um, <laughs> where we need to go? Um, yeah, and you know the those who those who. Um, Go ahead, actually. I, I just. I'm not, <laughs> so let's see. Let's see if I can I remember my, my right remember my Kropotkin. Basically, the idea is um, social Darwinists in the late 1800s tried to use Darwin to say um, it's the survival of the fittest, the strongest. <laughs> we should all compete. We with should each all compete other. with each other. The strongest one wins, and that's the way it should be. And so this was this really capitalist kind of idea. And Kropotkin is saying, actually, Darwin said that. Um, Those who could collaborate to secure resources that aren't scarce are actually fittest to survive. Yeah, so the, uh, cooperation is the natural way for lots and lots of different species, including humanity. And that's why the elite fabricate scarcity. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, false scarcity. Yes. Yeah. Very real. Yeah. Very real. And we think we have a false scarcity complex about um, love and access to divinity. Mm. Like Absolutely. So that there's this idea yes. that's like there's only so much love in the world. There's only so much access to divine power and or to like God. So like you have else. to you have to get it through ah. somebody else. <laughs> so it's like there's only there's only so much of it. So somebody has to hoard it and like give it out a little bit here and there. And where if you're worthy, no one has any. You know, like yeah, exactly. <laughs> like because you have to be worthy to have it because there's not enough for everybody. Right. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like that adds in this whole whole other thing. This like false scarcity through not even just material means but like spiritual yeah and if if that's true for everybody then nobody gets the love mm-hmm. and because we're all taking it from each other yeah so yeah. that is like the number one thing that you need to do to liberate yourself from anything is realize that you already have everything you need um unless unless you're talking about like like <laughs> biological like resources physiological things like a you're hungry of course you don't have everything you need but like like, as far as as far as love and divinity goes and stuff like that then Mm -hmm. um, the more you more you give the more you get yeah for sure the more you just so scary when like i mean i've been really moving towards like embodying that like really putting having an intention for that for myself but been at times very scary like Mm. putting myself out there like this i have no idea if it's gonna get returned but like you know it's really funny i've had the opposite experience i um yeah i have i have always like sort of regarded myself as narcissistic and selfish and therefore i've overcompensated and made myself like uh overgiving and i've um basically become the the mom to a lot of my partners and I get very yeah. little in return um, and so my my like personal motto is do no harm take no shit like <laughs> I love that balance how much you give with how that. much you get and that's wonderful don't tolerate anything less <laughs> I want that just like tattooed on the inside of my arms so same it's like, like okay, okay reminder re- yeah reminder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah like mm. it, it also I've I've recently had to like finally um as far as like relationship things go i've had to finally like tell myself like hey bitch don't settle <laughs> don't settle yeah it's, it's just like, like wait a minute. don't be an opportunist about these like, kinds of things nope like, get what you want wait, yeah it's, it's worth the wait <laughs> totally and i've i've been an opportunist about like giving myself completely to someone else it's like who, who can i um who can i satisfy my own um, self self doubt with, <laughs> um, and it it has that in its truest form was where the nar- narcissism lied, was in the um, like the self pleasing kind of or self appeasing uh, manner of giving so much to satisfy um, my oh I'm not a narcissist kind of. The, the interesting thing that religion has given me, and even specifically, I've been going down the um, original George Fox Quaker path of, he said, the only, I don't need pastors, I don't need churches, the only person that can speak to my condition is Jesus himself. Hmm. And like going and like reading what he's all saying, and sort of the idea is like, stay humble, live in service, and you, your life will come together. 
And like, I've, I feel that. A I, lot, I feel yeah. that too. It's like, cause if you sort of stay humble, just in the idea of like, there's lots of things that are bigger than you. Everybody has value, you know? Yes. So it's like in that way of staying humble. And then if you're living in service, then it's like you, there's nothing that feels better than like accomplishing <laughs> a direct action that is successful and like, materially made somebody's life better yes you know absolutely (laughs) yeah there's it's just it's 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 an addicting feeling definitely (laughs) (laughs) so um and we could also talk about like the self-serving nature of that too yeah go for it um and yeah basically that's self-serving too (laughs) so that's all i got on that um but it's yeah i mean if you're if your need for philanthropy is like um is, is rooted in your is rooted in your ego yeah we were talking about this earlier mm. um then is it actual philanthropy mm. and there's a part of me that wants to say that like well that doesn't matter if you're doing things for people if you're living in service um it doesn't matter why um it's still good to an extent um it could be better <laughs> but i mean that comes but, back down to the idea of coming from a inward place exactly so because then yeah. at that point you're not actually coming from an, an inward place Be satisfied of before you you're like yeah. yeah you're like you're, trying at to that fix point you're trying to like you're still externally yourself. trying to fix something yeah. Yeah. yeah so i think at this point we're we're rephrasing this the same thing and this pattern has been make sure your cup is full before you start giving to other people mm-hmm. and so. at the same time i I, th- I think that in a way um giving people as you fill your own cup giving people also fill, to give giving to people also fills your cup sort of like sometimes yeah, yeah. but if you yeah, and if you yeah. get too lost in that then you're yeah. not filling your own cup yeah <laughs> no i mean you have to you have to prioritize your needs um completely but Basically, i kind of think the about like the story is be mindful yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah how i think about it for myself is that um I am in no place to liberate anyone if I am not myself liberated, but I will never be truly liberated until everyone is liberated. Yes, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you just kind of got to work parallel. Yeah, yeah, as much some flags were tripped for a moment, and I was like, you can't save anyone, Nathan. Like, (laughs) no, no, no no saviors, no heroes, (laughs) no masters, no gods. That's, I, that is something I've fallen into in the past. Same, definitely. me too. I have always, I've also done that. Yeah, and it's not good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, and my experience of being an artist is like all of this at the same time, but all totally subconscious because, like, does my art actually help people? Um, and I guess I'll have to wait to know. Um, but. It, yes, it does because it helps me, um, and yeah, <laughs> that's, a, that's a that's an issue a lot of artists have. It's like, was what I'm doing worthwhile? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And I say yes. I say art has been incredibly devalued in the capitalist system mm-hmm. because it's because of how powerful it is. Yes, you know that the, that spirit power, that rejuvenation of spirit power, is something that the powers that be do not want us to have mm-hmm. like yes. we have to be disempowered so any activity that helps re-empower people needs to be devalued mm-hmm. right and and the feeling i get after i finish a painting or a sculpture and i'm looking at my baby <laughs> is like so beyond anything else and like it it almost feels like kind of dirty because i know that the powers that be don't want me to have that so i'm like mm, like, <laughs> like ooh, I'm, i am just as much of a god as you think you are <laughs> at at the elite people that live in the fucking sky um <laughs> like yeah i love that um yeah being being an artist has uh, affirmed my own divinity and my own humility at the same time um because it really does it it destroys me and then creates me because i destroy and create myself in every moment um i love that (laughs) i love that yeah so the and i i always get trapped by the free will i have with artwork i'm i'm always like okay i'm looking at this blank page and i could do anything with this but i'm doing nothing with it because i don't know what to do (laughs) And that's, that's when you need to learn to relax and 
trust the process. Trust that um, you, as an artist, as an individual, will do what you're going to do, and you don't have to think about it. Um, that has been the most important lesson for me of mindfulness, actually, is that, like, I am a process. This is, this is also where my nihilism comes in, too. I, if I think of myself as like pure biochemical matter, um, who, my my future is like goddamn <laughs> God it, it, the train. Um, <laughs> wait for the train. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If okay. I'm... Hold, please. Okay. I think it's yeah. I yeah. think that I think the train's gone. All right. Where yes. were we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so pure biochemical matter. If I get into the nihilism of my own existence and I stop thinking of myself as like a living thing um, and, and more of like a process, process like a washing machine or something like if I'm a washing machine then I'm going to do my washing if I'm an artist then I'm going to do my art you know um, and I, I think of, that's the terms that I think about my life and that's the terms that I think about everyone in their own life and this kind of goes into the religion of Thelema um, which was made by Alistair Crowley in the it, Thelema means will in Latin it's like free will kind of thing um, and the, the first law of Thelema is free will over everything just do what you're gonna do and underneath that is do it with love um, yeah but but primarily do what you're gonna do and it it gives you a very profound sense of like oneness and okayness with even the really terrible shit, um, like the the disgusting kinds of. I'm gonna I'm gonna quote AJJ. <laughs> Hold on, guys, I'm gonna get emo. Um, <laughs> there, what is it? It's like there's a rapist and a Nazi living in our tiny hearts. Child pornographers and cannibals and politicians too. There's someone in your head waiting to fucking strangle you. So it's like. It's shit like that. Like, all of that terrible shit, that is that is somewhere inside all of us that exists everywhere um, in us. And we're never really going to be able to destroy it. And we are going to do what we're going to do. And there's no real way of saying if it's going to be good or bad. So um, do what you're going to do. And when you're thinking about it, that is also what you're going to do. So you really cannot do wrong. You can never make a mistake in your life. Mm -mm. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about that. Sometimes it's good to have mistakes. Uh, yeah, no, ever... if, if you make it a mistake for yourself, if you realize it as a mistake for yourself, oh, it, it does its job for you. Gotcha. But have you, um, have you ever heard of the saxophone kills fascists? No, okay, but the, I like that name. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just this one guy who has a saxophone and he... Does he kill fascists? Well, he goes around and plays this... Music is just like just noise just like crazy saxophone noise i love that yeah it's awesome and i was <laughs> i was talking to a girl uh lady about it and she says she was saying that sometimes she feels that inner authoritarian oh yeah she, she, so she feels that inner authoritarian <laughs> that inner like coming up in her she'll listen to some of uh the saxophone kills fascists and just like feel it she says she's in this like feel it burn the authoritarian out of her yeah yeah, like, yeah. i love that totally it's great yeah. I feel like that really, um, I really like that, how everything, like, if you make a mistake, but it's not, nothing's a mistake until you decide that it's a mistake, and I yes. really, that's kind of where I, some of my nihilistic leanings, like, uh, manifest themselves, too, is, like, any, any opinion, there's no, there's nothing, none of my actions are anything, in morality until it's been decided by myself that they are like, yeah. like there's no, everything that is good or bad is ultimately up to me. And of course, but we're, you know, we're taught to automatically like there's predetermined things that are good and bad, but it's really like just as much as we buy into them. And, you know, I buy into a lot of the same things that society tells me to like, I don't think it's good to kill people, you know? And yeah. Like, you know, all those things, things but you know sense, quote, yeah quote. yeah but it's like also like really getting that it's because i buy into it it's not because it exists in the world as good or exists as bad yeah it's, you can't touch it yeah it's, <laughs> it's hard though because 
coming from you and coming from like cool people I totally get that. I can say that, but yeah. But then there's it, just so many no assholes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who are just, um, will just you yeah. know, easily just be like, you know. But they aren't a monolith the moral, at the same time. You know. Yeah, of, exactly. They they the idea, monolith. like, some religions are like, people are inherently amoral. Yeah. Therefore, we need to tell them what morality is. See, the thing is, is like, all of these systems of classification that are like, what is good and what is bad, um those actually do more to have people repress their bad nature instead of heal their bad nature. Um, and I, I feel like it contributes to more violence. <laughs> um, and it's funny that I say that morality doesn't exist, but I prescribe to a very strict personal set of morals. Same. Um, <laughs> And I think I think it's totally meant that way. <laughs> I feel like when you destroy the the external morality, you create your own, um, and the bad people exist so that you can s- steer yourself away from them, pretty much. So I don't want there to be no bad people. I want the good people to learn better things from the bad people. Huh. I the Quaker thing is that everybody has an in um, in inner light yeah right so then it's just like everybody has an inner light and so what does that mean exactly (laughs) so so the idea being that if there is this like external morality that's sort of put on people that can sort of obscure or quelch or their own inner light and their own like sense of right and wrong that Mm -hmm. there is sort of a basic that you know the the idea instead of that people are basically amoral and need to be told what to do is sort of the authoritarian versus anti-authoritarian thing. It's like that people are actually basically good. And if you take away these oppressive systems and these oppressive, like prescribed moralities, then the true human nature is one of basic, basic goodness. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think the, the destruction of morality and that idea are totally compatible Mm because, um, kind of what coming back to, uh, the whole, like, Kropotkin's take on Darwinism and everything like um, people naturally want and need solidarity and love and everything which and when you strip away outside external ideas of what they should do or not they will basically naturally realize like hey so I really want to be loved and be loved and I guess the way to do that is to value people or to what, you know, so whatever like, they end up doing, yeah, yeah, whatever they end up doing. And if they don't want that, Elma, you know, first do what you do, then do yeah. it with love. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of like if you, if morality's fake and you can do whatever you want, then why not love everybody basically? And I don't think, yeah. I don't think there's anything inherent in me and my upbringing that leads me to that. I think that's a pretty, consistent thing across uh, humanity <laughs> and I'd have to disagree with you there I think I think thinking these things is inherently a little bit dangerous there is a thinking, lot of sorry thinking which things uh, destroying morality oh, it yeah. is it is inherently dangerous oh, yeah. but you also like have to you you have to be enough you have to be humble enough to realize that like whether it's dangerous or not, you still can't impose that on someone else. Oh, yeah. One, it won't work. And two, uh, it wouldn't be perfect enough to impose on anyone. And three, it's it's not even your place to do something oh, like yeah. that. So destroying morality comes back to the... It's like morality is a safe place. You know, it's something that you find comfort in. And the oftentimes the opposite of comfort and the opposite of or the opposite of comfort is the opposite of safety. Yeah. Um, being free is not always going to be safe or comfortable. Um, and to be free, you need to be free from your morality too. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the sort of thing that can I mean it's definitely the sort of thing that can be taught. I mean I would say that I've been taught it essentially. Um but like like in situations like this, not yeah, someone not, standing not, above you. No, it, can, it <laughs> cannot be taught through authoritarian means and it's kind of the enemy of authoritarian means. So yeah. it's interesting like how to think about spreading 
that idea because you can't even like spread it in its actual form through like any sort of like let's put it in our state sponsored school curriculums or anything <laughs> especially that, like because then that just turns into like ancapism or like yeah like edgy like which is i feel like again like a non-rigorous view of it with like to come to the conclusion that well i should just like hurt people and not care like i mean it's kind of like well, i also see in your thinking that the only way this could be taught is if it were perfect true which is absurd yeah, <laughs> yeah. the perfect does not exist yeah, yeah. so virgo to virgo the perfect does exactly. not exist. <laughs> get that tattooed on yeah yeah so we're gonna end up with a lot of tattoos after this conversation yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so i, I recall yeah. something you told me about artwork one time and it it was like it was something about like a guitarist in a solo mm. like you you can never stop playing because um probably yeah i think like <laughs> it's it's always more just the most important thing is that you are playing and that you are soloing like to to yourself as you're playing you're hearing all your like mistakes or like how your idea of how it's gonna be versus what you're actually playing but to the audience they're just hearing you soloing so it's it's more important that you keep soloing or that that you just do it than to do it perfectly because that's no that's doesn't exist yeah. so yeah You're chasing I, I love yeah <laughs> i love that i said that because i was i don't live that often not, not at all. <laughs> well it meant a lot to me yeah i know it I came to me like right as i needed it yeah so. i'm glad <laughs> i try to remember that <laughs> but yeah no that's definitely yeah that that's enough that's definitely one of those those things, those, um, like, ideas that maybe came from some external place but that we buy into and kind of, like, really, yeah, it's, like, really put authoritarian, like, limits on ourselves, I think. Yeah. Like, like I... And no I gods, know, no masters. Yeah. It applies to your inner state of yeah. mental... It's, it's yeah. really yeah. hard, I think, a lot of times <laughs> to just jump in and do something because you're gonna fuck up yeah (laughs) you know it's it's really hard it's it's hard to do that it's like and there's only so much you can prepare for but then sometimes fuck ups are real bad you know sometimes fuck ups are real real bad bad. (laughs) the risk the risk um it doesn't mean anything if there's no risk yeah (laughs) yeah and at the same time I guess coming back to the whole like idea of um whatever you do is what you're going to do or whatever yeah like do what you do yeah (laughs) fuck-ups are part of that i guess but it's really it can be very difficult to have that perspective like i usually don't have that perspective (laughs) like yeah the main thing is to to get out of the habit of (laughs) of like categorizing your life as this is what i want to keep and this is what i don't want to keep like I feel like that's a bad habit because you you both need to accept that your past is a part of you mm. and also let it go. Mm. Um, and you you need to accept that you will make mistakes and then you need to let them go. The problem with the um, needing to fuck do. up and you oh. know just jump in is there is a lot of privilege in that because some people have much more ability to fuck up than other people. Yeah, much. Uh, you know? A lot of people have more risk. Like ability to take risks than others and you know, that's why me as an anarchist I want all, I don't like that <laughs> <laughs> I think I think poor brown people um, in quote unquote third world countries should have the same amount of fuck up room as some rich white kid um, like myself uh, and yeah that's uh, the question then becomes how, how do we get there um <laughs> which which would be another hour of talking <laughs> another yeah. few days of talking maybe <laughs> <laughs> i mean at the same time they still like they definitely have a lot less like wiggle room in terms of like you know material things and like you know but they also have their own like 
like talking about like um, people in third world countries and etc. Like have, and they have I their own like struggles and their own like interpersonal things that they. I mean, they're human beings, so they'll inevitably fuck up and inevitably have these like triumphs and like yeah defeats or whatever. So I feel like it's. It also doesn't do them the service to like other them in the way of being like, oh, this like, like they also don't, like, like, to kind of think that universal, universal, yeah, universality of this sort of thing doesn't apply to them because it does. Yeah, it's also it's always problematic to talk about people when they're not in the room. Yeah, true, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, bottom line, <laughs> and, and it's not my job to save poor brown people in quote-unquote third world countries <laughs> so <laughs> as i said no no saviors no heroes yeah <laughs> um we're just about an hour do you have any like closing thoughts is there anything that we wanted you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to talk about um not really we covered a lot yeah. of stuff yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah basically just being anarchist means to love yourself I guess. Yeah. And love yourself for yourself. And to want yourself. Yes. <laughs> and to delight in yourself. Exactly, yes. <laughs> to have the utmost joy in doing what you do. Yeah. <laughs> or the, at least, at the very least, the utmost doingness. Yes, the utmost doingness. <laughs> your, your pain can be a, a cosmic, um, like sonnet about how blah 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 thing is blah. <laughs> <laughs> basically yes. perfect thank you so much this you're was welcome wonderful. all right um all right this has been friendly anarchism talk to you later <laughs>